This is the Mojo, the Meaning of Life and Business podcast, where life and business intersect. Hosted by Jennifer Glass, CEO of Business Growth Strategies International and BGSI Coaching. We are dedicated to your success. Hello and welcome to another episode of Mojo, the Meaning of Life and Business. On today's program, we're going to be talking about food deserts and farming. For those of you that don't know the term or have never heard of the term food desert, what it basically means is that in many places around the world, people have lost their supermarkets. They've lost access to food. So what they end up having to do is going into convenience stores and buying the less expensive food. Or they go into fast food restaurants and they're buying the cheap burgers, wings, whatever it may be, which has led to an epidemic of obesity in our nation, which has also increased the prevalence of diabetes and other illnesses. On today's program, I've got an amazing guest, Juan Lacey, who is going to be helping us learn more, though, about what is going on in the country in terms of food deserts, and what can be done about helping all of us live better and healthier lives. But before I bring Juan onto the program, let me tell you a little bit about Juan. So after Juan having an extensive working career in the information management industry, while working for large banks, nonprofits, and government contractors, during the last 20 years, Juan has moved into entrepreneurship where he was the owner of an office cleaning service franchise, while also completing an extensive study to move into the controlled environment agriculture industry that is ready to be launched. During his working career, he earned his MBA and taught from the University of Phoenix, Sojourner Douglas College, and American University. Well, Juan, that is really an incredible bio. Welcome to the program today. Thank you, Jennifer. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So one, let me just ask you, before we kind of jump into everything else, I mentioned something that I'm not sure a lot of us understand. What exactly is the controlled environment agriculture industry? Controlled environmental agriculture, or CEA, is, a, um, is an idea that um, most people understand when you, when you explain it. Um, if you think about a greenhouse, a greenhouse is a contained environment where plants live and grow and the atmosphere in there, the temperature and the air are all controlled. And they're made in such a way that um, it promotes growth and um, the extension of, of crops that we have access to, to be extended. You know, the, the, the types of crops that that we see when we're growing them outside, they're limited by the cold and the rain that they're exposed to. But if you have something that's a little bit more fragile, um, if it was a flower, it might be uh, an orchid. Uh, you wouldn't see an orchid grown outside or in, in this climate. But if it was in a greenhouse, that's where you would tend to find them. And that's an example of a CEA. Thank you. So. Now all of our listeners at least understand what 
controlled environment agriculture is. So let's get back to uh, the topics. So food deserts and the lack of food. What exactly happened there that all of a sudden now so many of us are without access to good, healthy foods? Well, food deserts have kind of become something that we've become more acquainted with over time. They started out in areas of economic depression. Um, one thing would lead to another and then uh, people's income would drop. And as a result of that, the businesses that were in those neighborhoods they could not get support from the community to exist. And as a business, you have to make money. And a grocery store is one of those businesses. So they would inevitably shut down and leave the neighborhood without access to the normal array of food that they were used to. And that, that's the beginning of a food desert. So as we look then at what is actually happening, with the food desert situation where markets are pulling out of town, people are, uh, you know, to look at, I guess, if you will, look at any of those movies that showed the dust ball rolling through town or whatever it is uh, that is happening. Is that kind of the idea that we're talking about in a food desert place, or is it something that really is a lot more down to earth, like, say certain parts even of New York City that may be a place where food deserts can be. And that's certainly the beginning of it, but the problem is, is that it never seems to end. Um, it, it, it's like a slippery slope. Um, people uh, lose their food, they lose their grocery store. Um, it creates an opportunity, which is, you know, in any open market environment, um, an opportunity will arise in the area will come a convenience store. And a convenience store can make money because the neighborhood has lost access to all of their food. So what happens is they bring in their uh, shelf of, of options, whether it's, uh, we're all used to this, they bring in uh, chips and, and, and salty types of foods, they sell, um, but there's no assortment of other foods to balance those diets. And then you might have an element of crime that might come up because property values will, will fall because people don't wanna to have to go you know, a long distance to find their food. So they move closer. Uh, schools and sources of food. If you lose those two um, legs in, of a community, uh, there's, there are a few legs left for that community to stand on. So, the neighborhood falls economically. And without that economic base, other grocery stores don't wanna come back into the area. They don't wanna come back into the neighborhood because they're in the business of making money. So as we look then at, now that we've figured out what the problem is, and we know that there is a problem because we've seen it in so many communities across our nation. What can we do 
about these food deserts and how do we start making a dent in the propensity of people to be buying these chips and salty uh, goods from the convenience stores and not to take business away from the convenience stores because they're also business owners. But what can we do to kind of make that difference? That way we lessen the likelihood of more people becoming diabetic, hypertensive, and everything else. Let me give you a little bit of a, uh, a history lesson on this. What has happened in these neighborhoods is that um, the people have decided amongst themselves they need food. So what they'll do is a lot of times they'll try to find themselves a piece of land and they'll open up and start to grow on the ground that's available. So they'll, they'll create a community garden. That's not a bad idea. Uh, the only problem is, is I, as I tell people when I talk about this, is that people need to eat during the winter months. So if the garden is gone because it's winter and you can't grow, where does the food come from? Well, it doesn't come. You have to go to it. Now, most of the time, these groups are nonprofit groups or you know, community volunteer groups that come together and they do an honestly a, a good job. But a, a, the problem is the larger market, the, the grocery store that left, they still don't want to come in because there's no economic base to be able to substantiate their business. What, what I have done with, with my partners is we're looking at bringing into these neighborhoods what we're calling micro grocery stores, a smaller footprint, but a meaningful footprint that will provide those options of food, but on a smaller scale. It's not that they won't be there, It'll be just that we scale our model down so that the business of a micro grocery store can still make money. It'll provide the food for the neighborhood and it will exist and they'll coexist and survive. And then with that, people will have improved options on their health and the children there will start to uh, form good eating habits, which they don't have right now because they're eating you know, chips and salty bags of, of, uh, of junk food out of the convenience stores. And so once we've got this market and people are now having access to better foods, do you think that that's going to be the panacea, if you will, to what some of these people are doing? Or is this something that's going to require a little bit of education in terms of retraining people, because if I've been living for the last 10, 15 years on going into Mickey D's, Wendy's, you know, not to mention some names or eating chips and dips instead of having better, healthier foods, um, you know, my palate has therefore changed. Is this going to be an educational campaign too to get people to? relearn how to eat properly and teaching kids how to eat? Or is this something that you think people are going to naturally move to in terms of what they're ultimately hoping to be getting? We view people holistically. When you go around the country and you talk to the food banks that are out there doing a fantastic job of supplementing food into these communities, 
one of the things that they'll tell you is that they have to uh, really look at the educational understanding of people when it comes to their food, their options, their understanding of how to buy things when they go into grocery stores themselves because they haven't been exposed to it, um, especially the younger people. So if you look at the model I've just outlined, these micro grocery stores have to not just provide the fresh fruit and vegetables and, and the other great protein options that we can bring into the neighborhoods, but we also have to provide them with an educational piece. So we're looking at things like providing uh, internet videos, on-demand menu uh, options, how to prepare the food, how to look at the food and judge to buy the, the better food versus the, the food that's not as good for you. Um, because they've lost that, uh, that experience level. And uh, it's not that it can't be brought back, it's that we have to help them. So we're looking at things like putting QR codes on the packaging to allow people to be able to pick up something in the store, or scan it and see what it's all about. It'll help with recalls. It'll also help with food preparation and decision-making, but it'll also help them to understand the benefit of what this is. And that's real where it all comes from. You know, when, when I was a kid, I remember um, my mother uh, always having a balanced diet on the on the kitchen table. So we would have something that was green and then we'd have a bright color food, maybe carrots or something else. And then we would have a meat, uh, something there, um, whether it be hamburger or steak. You know, I was back in the day, steak was very prevalent, um, but it was a balanced diet. You don't always see that when you look in uh, a kitchen nowadays. Um, that's where the problem lies. So you not only have to provide them with the food, you need to show them how to select it, how to prepare it, how to make it appetizing so that the cycle can be broken and the younger people can start to desire to eat that way versus to eat in a way that's not wholesome for them. So in addition to the food, you're offering a nutritional counseling service with everything to really help them. And that's incredible because uh, it's really going to help so many people learn how to really be able to eat well, to be living healthy and going from there. But one, let me ask you, out of everything that you could have been doing and in your vast career, I mean, going from an office cleaning service to starting this uh program for uh, food deserts, what made you take that leap in terms of, I mean, because that is a drastic leap from one thing to another. So what made you take that leap? I'm sure that a lot of our listeners would love to hear that story. Well, Jennifer, when I, when I write the book, you better read it, but let me tell you about it right now. Um, a, a few years back, um, I was working for uh, Sam's Club. And uh, I got started in the produce department. So in order to be able to create more sales in the produce department, after I would put the food out, I actually just stumbled into the idea of just talking about, 
you know, what are you going to use this for? And how are you going to prepare this with the customers, with the members? That conversation cycle created this interest in me of finding out a little bit more about how people selected their food, what people wanted, and the benefits from it. Well, it, that was the beginning. The next step was after a promotion, I got an opportunity to talk to somebody who was looking to bring a aquaponics system into the community and was shot down. Um, that day of having that brief conversation, which couldn't have lasted more than five or 10 minutes, started me on a quest uh, where I was looking at it and found, oh, wow, this is something that really would be great for any community, not just the one that I'm living in. And then I started to wonder, why? Why was this not something that communities had? And with a little bit more of investigation on my part, I found uh, there were people who were doing it, but they weren't successful. And then I found those that were successful and the reason for the success. And that sort of stepping stone process of looking at the subject kind of walked me through this where now I'm basically 14 years later and looking at this on a holistic standpoint of how it can help not only my small community, but communities across the country. And to be able to create businesses that feed into this at a time when we've lost so many people due to the pandemic, they've lost their job. A lot of people have been put out of work because restaurants have had to close, but these are all still food related industry businesses. So we're looking at actually bringing people into farming, into the local community, using our techniques and, and uh, uh, systems so that they can not only make a business for themselves, but also better people's health living in their community, their neighbors. So that's definitely an interesting story, Juan. Let me ask you, though, in terms of our listeners who may be living in areas where there are food deserts, what can they do right now to really start making a difference? Because you said if a market isn't going to be there, because there isn't an economical advantage for them to be there, one person alone is not going to get there. But is there anything that our listeners can do that may be in these food deserts? I think it's, um, I think it's easier than what most people may think. Um, there are a lot of uh, access points, whether it be programming, whether it be the internet, whether it be even the public library, we can find material that will give you um, information about how to properly support a better diet. Um, but with all of that said, if, I mean, if you go to the food channel on, on the internet or on your cable, you can find that. But the problem still is how do you get your hands on it? How do you effectively bring it into your house and some people okay we've had a lot of people now who are opting to shop by home delivery and that's phenomenal but you're still seeing 
um, issues there where not everybody is doing it and bringing in the type of food that they need. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about wellness. In our business model, we're looking at working in the community to pair up wellness professionals to the community that may have a higher level of diabetes or a higher propensity for heart disease. And you can select the food, but there's still that professional disconnect. You still need to have someone to help you with the wellness component. So that goes back to what I talked about before. How do you properly educate people? Uh, you need the wellness piece. You need the preparation and the selection piece, but you then also have to have the availability of the food. But when you bring that, those components all together, you suddenly find that people improve in terms of their health, their wellness, their attitude, their safety. There's food safety and security issues also. And also from a, a generational standpoint, this can help a generation to improve themselves so that you have people living longer. And then with living longer, they can better support their family. So the beginning of all of this is food. This is what I learned when I took that job a long time ago in the Sam's Club. And definitely, I mean, we know so much how what we put in our body, what we put on our body has an ultimate effect on our body. You look at the guidance uh, recently coming from the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA here in the United States, to cut back on salt. I mean, we know that there's way too much salt that we're consuming on a regular basis, and these food deserts just contributes even more to the salt and the heart disease, hypertension, obesity, diabetes, so many different diseases. I mean, even arthritis and um, other inflammatory diseases or trace back to the food that we ultimately eat and the things that we put on our skin. Uh, I mean, there's groups like the Environmental Working Group that are constantly out there talking about the dangers of what it is that we're consuming, whether it's on our skin or in our food, in terms of what we're doing. And so it's great that you're stepping up and getting involved, Juan, because you are going to be making a huge difference in terms of so many people's lives uh, with everything from the food they eat to hopefully eventually the products that they're using as well to be healthier as well. So let me ask you the one, because a lot of our listeners are probably going to be wondering at this point, how can I find out more about one and find out really what more I can do to get involved? We're um, on the internet. We've got a, a, a website, farmsclosedby.com. Um, all of my contact information is there. All of our contact information is there. Um, but uh, we're more than just that. Um, we are, we're actually partners in the community. So we are working with um, uh, the food banks, we're working with our, our local elected officials to uh, promote ideas that will uh, create sustainability within the communities. 
because sustainability is a big, big piece of what we are all about. And um, uh, I'm available for anybody who wants to talk. Um, we're looking to also increase the number of uh, diverse community members, African-Americans who are in farming by this project across the country um, because these uh, micro grocery stores are gonna be franchises. So we're looking to have uh, franchise owners who are minority women and veterans as owners of these, of these units um, because it's important to us that um, we find people in and amongst the community that participate in this. And by their participation, they then help their neighbors. So this is a neighbor helping neighbor project, farms close by. Thank you so much, Juan. That was really enlightening. And I hope that all of you that are listening really were paying close attention. And if you think right now what you're eating, if you look back whether it was today, if you're listening to this in the evening, you look back at what you've been eating over the last week, whatever it may be, think back, did you have, like Juan mentioned, that balanced diet? Michelle Obama had, as one of her core uh, first lady programs, to eat well. One of the things that we've changed so many times is the way that the food pyramid looks like what goes where, how much are we supposed to take? At one point, sugar was good, and then sugar was bad. There's a lot of things that everybody keeps saying from time to time that really makes you scratch your head and wonder, what exactly is it that I'm listening to, and does the science actually back it up? One thing the science has not changed, though, is that fruits and vegetables are great for your diet. It helps with antioxidants. It helps reduce inflammation. It helps reduce disease. It helps increase so many of the other benefits of life, including life itself. We don't want to die any sooner than we have to. So when we pay attention to the food that we're eating and the products that we're using, we're really paying even more attention to our ultimate goal of being here to make a difference and live a life. And so as you think again what you're doing, make a goal for yourself. Over the next 10 days, I am going to try and find at least one new thing that I can do to increase or improve my diet. I am going to find a way to look up some of the things that I can do right now to make a difference and start eating better, no matter if you live in an area where there is a food desert. Sources that can really be of use you in your journey. So one, I want to thank you again so much for being on the program today. And until next time, here's to your success. 
This has been another episode of Mojo, the Meaning of Life and Business podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review, liking us, or reaching out to us. You can contact us at bgsicoaching.com and let us know what you think. Thanks so much again for listening.